Well, good morning. Welcome to Northridge. Glad that you guys are all here. Uh, for those of you here for first time or our first time guests, um, I got to meet a couple of you this morning already, so that was awesome. Uh, but welcome to Northridge. We want you to know that this is a safe place, a safe community, a safe group for you to dig in at whatever level you're at in your relationship with God, with Jesus. Uh, so what Shauna just prayed is true, that we are here because of Jesus. No other reason. There's got a lot of other reasons that churches think they exist and try to exist because of this, that, and the other. But we're here because of Jesus, and we want you. And maybe you're here. Maybe you have a relationship with Christ. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're not even sure if you believe in God. No matter where you're at on that spectrum, this is a safe place for you. All we ask is that you genuinely and openly seek what it would look like to follow Jesus on a daily basis. Because that's what we're about, everything that we're about here. And, uh, and so we're excited about that. Well, uh, let me just tell you, this is a big weekend. Uh, we had Friday, uh, it was Jingle Jam. And if you were here, you noticed like this place was crammed with people, kids running everywhere. There was music going, there was cookie decorating happening and sprinkles falling everywhere. The Village Center loves us. Um, you know, and we had inflatables. I mean, it was just crazy. It was awesome. It was fun. And so that was amazing. And then we have this morning, and we're worshiping our Lord and Savior here today together. But then tonight couldn't be more different than what was on Friday night. <laughs> tonight is going to be this room, and actually there's going to be three separate rooms. There's going to be three of us, three places for communion, and it's going to be quiet. It's going to be dark. There will be candles lit on the tables. And it's an opportunity for you just to breathe and to pause and for us to serve you and your family, whoever comes with you, your, serve you communion. And we'll pray with you about whatever you need prayer for. And uh, it'll just be a few minutes, but, and then, you know, we kind of have this. And I, don't, I want you to know, we've done this for only two hours the last few years, but we had to expand it to three hours this year. Uh, because the last couple of years, we've just, it's been so many. In fact, we, we got to the end and like, it was hard to get everybody in to see and, and take communion. And so we've expanded to three hours from two. So just join us tonight and uh, let's celebrate the reason for this season, that is Jesus. And uh, so we're in a series right now, the Christmas series called A Puzzling Gift. And uh, as you know, we've been building this puzzle over here on, the, on this side to my left, your right. And, uh, and we've built it by each time. What we're doing is we're talking about the puzzle of Christmas, that God was putting this whole story, this whole plan together, and there is a plan behind all of Christmas, the whole Christmas story. There's a plan, there's a puzzle to it. But we've also talked about the fact that Jesus is kind of a puzzling figure to somebody, to a lot of people. He's a puzzling figure. They, they don't understand. Maybe he was unexpected. Maybe because he came, there are some things that are uncertain. We talked about that last week. And today we're going to talk about the unwelcome part of Jesus. This is, this is the part of the story, Christmas story, that we don't really like to see and like to focus on, but it's a part that's really important to hear. And so we're going to talk about how the, the unwelcome part of Jesus, and, and before we do anything else, we're, we're just going to jump right into this part of the Christmas story today. We're just going to jump right in. Uh, you know when we jump in, man, there's a lot in there. Uh, because it's like, we got to get going. And so we're going to jump into the Christmas story. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, is the part of the Christmas story that we're going to be in. Matthew chapter 2. And uh, we're going to talk about the wise men and King Herod. All right, so it's that part of the Christmas story. It's a part of the Christmas story that a lot of people don't hear about. We hear about the wise men, and you know there's supposed to be three of them and camels. Just to burst your bubble, 
there's no, we don't know if there were three. We certainly don't have any idea if they rode camels, okay, just so you know. Uh, and we certainly don't know if they wore like cheap little thin satin or whatever we wear in the Christmas programs, right? I mean, we don't know all that. But what we do know is that there were these wise men that came from a long way to, to see Jesus. And we're going to read that part of the Christmas story. So Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? So I want to pause here just for a minute. So King Herod asked this question and now he's going to call in these experts that know the Old Testament really well, like the first part of the Bible, right? And he says, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? So they're going to give him the answer and then they're going to quote why they know the answer, right? You know, when you give an answer to a teacher and the teacher says, well, how do you know that's true? You know what I'm saying? So, so they're going to give the answer and then they're going to quote a passage of scripture from Micah, the book of Micah, who's a prophet. And they're going to quote this writing that he wrote 700 years before this conversation with King Herod. Okay. In other words, Micah, this guy named Micah, prophesied that the Savior was going to be born in this little town of Bethlehem 700 years before it happens. Okay, just to put this in perspective, that's pretty amazing. This would be like, back, go back to the 1300s, right? Like the year 1300 in the medieval period in Europe. And there's some scribe somewhere in some corner, weird, awkward portion of the castle, right? And there's this guy that's talking to him and saying, write this down, right? And he writes, you know, there shall be... Uh, 700 years from now, uh, a village called Wanakee, all right? And there's going to be a new church there. And they're going to meet in something called a village center. And they shall call it Northridge. Now, how crazy would that be if some scribe wrote exactly those words and then all of a sudden 700 years, 700 years later, here we are. That's exactly what they're about to quote. 700 years before this, Micah writes this prophecy and it happens. So listen to what he says, verse five. They say, well, he's born in Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. This is quoting Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Now, I want us to focus on this first part of King Herod's reaction to Jesus. Did you catch what his reaction was? When they came in and said, hey, we're here to find the newborn king of the Jews. We're here to find this newborn baby who's supposed to be the savior of the world. When he comes in, did you notice what the text said that happened to King Herod? He was deeply disturbed, <laughs> right? That means he was not excited, right? It, this, in other words, if I were to use our word for this series, he was unwelcome. Jesus was absolutely unwelcome in King Herod's life. He's like, uh-uh, no, I don't know where you came from. I don't know what you, hold on, hold the phone. Wait a minute, where is he supposed to be born? Because <laughs> I don't like this, all right? And so he's deeply disturbed and all the time. And I kind of was thinking like, you know, what's this level? And, you know, he's kind of disturbed and this is totally unwelcome. He's just annoyed by this. Everything was going good this day. And then all of a sudden the, these wise men guys, these wise guys show up, right? 
and, and, and they say there's this newborn baby, and it's kind of like that first or couple of first couple snows that we get in Wisconsin or when it gets below freezing. How many of you love that, all right? Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, right? And we have to get all of our stuff out and, 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 and the boots, and I'm like, where are my boots? I haven't seen my, I've got to dust those things off. I haven't even fired up the snowblower yet, right? It's always too soon. It's always too quick. We're just annoyed by it. It's like, this is not welcome. I want to go back to summer, like now, right? Well, this is kind of how King Herod was, but really saying he was unwelcome is an understatement, isn't it? Because really Jesus was a threat to King Herod. And my question I have for you is why? Why was Jesus a threat to King Herod? Why was he so threatened by him? I can give you one word of why he was threatened by him. And it's really the same reason why we're threatened by most things. Change. King Herod did not want change. He did not want to give up his power. He didn't want to give up his status. He didn't want to give up his wealth. He didn't want to give up his, his life. He had his normal routine. Like, I have my Pop-Tarts in the morning, right? And then I go and I, and I sit on my throne for a while. I make a few decisions. And then I go back and I have a few more Pop-Tarts mid-morning, right? I have my routine and Jesus is going to mess it all up like I'm not going to be king anymore and he's going to mess with things and I have my routine. This is comfortable. This is me. This is where I'm at. And King Herod is just like, this is unwelcome. I don't like this. I'm annoyed by this. I'm threatened by this Jesus who wants to change my life. I don't want it. No, thank you. And it's, and it's kind of one of those things I think that you and I live in on a daily basis. Uh, I don't, uh, let me just give you an example. Let's say you've had a long day at work and, and you get home, maybe you get home just in time for supper, maybe six o'clock, maybe it's a late supper, maybe it's seven o'clock. You've been working and you're just busy and you've just been tired and all you want to do is like, you know, hang out with the kids for a little bit and you get them into bed and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm in that mode, Right. I've got elementary up to intermediate age kids, right? And so bedtime is, well, it's kind of like heaven, you know, kind of one of those things. I love my children, but bedtime is awesome. And, and so we, we kind of get into that mode. And then at that point, Laura and I know, oh, oh, we can just sit down and watch some TV, hang out together. Maybe we can actually talk. Like, hey, what's your name again? Oh, yeah, you're my wife. This is awesome. We're connecting again, <laughs> Right? And then, and then sometimes maybe, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but then God kind of impresses this thought on you. Hey, I, I want you to get into my word for a few minutes. I want you, I want you to get the Bible. Where is that thing? <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Get into the Bible. I want you to open it. I want you to read it. For, I want you to dig into it for a few minutes. Right? And, and how, how does that compare to like scrolling Facebook? Right? I know where Facebook is, access to me. Now, I've got the Bible app, so it's almost as easy, right? But Facebook's like right there in my pocket. I've always got the phone. It's always right there. Push notifications. Oh, what? Oh, I don't need that. Oh, I don't need that one either. It's one out of 10 that I actually care about, right? But we still keep it here. And God says, no, spend some time in Word. But I don't know about you, but sometimes that thought is unwelcome. Like, no, I'd rather just watch TV. That's easier. I don't want to think about my soul. I don't want to think about my life. I'm, I'm tired the kids are in bed, God. Like, this is my time. This is unwelcome. 
right? Or, or maybe you have your day planned and, or your week planned and then all of a sudden God puts somebody in your path, maybe at work, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe a family member and you know that they need help and you're like, no, I don't want to help. I just, I, I, I was gonna sit down and read this book but now you, now you call crying and I, I don't want to help. Now we don't say that to them. That'd be really mean. I'm sorry you're going through that. I have a book to read. I hope you get through that. But that's sometimes in the back of our heart, we're like, oh, this is really unwelcome right now. And I think, and, and you know why I came up with those two examples? Because I deal with those. <laughs> Seriously, I do. I've dealt with, I deal with them often. And I have to wrestle with that and say, God, regardless of how unwelcome it is, if you've put it in my path, I need to listen. And what I, where I think King Herod was is he was just threatened by this. He, he, he was unwelcome to him. All right? So now let's go back to the story. Let's look at, that's the first response that we see from King Herod. What's the second one? Believe it or not, the first one is pretty bad. The second one's way worse. Okay? So let's go back to uh, continuing the story. Herod has just found out where Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. And now look at what he does. Verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So what did you notice King Herod does? As soon as he finds out where Jesus is going to be born, you notice what he did? He says, hey, wise guys. Okay, wise men, I know. But come back in the room. Okay, we're going to have a private meeting now. I want you to understand, you know why he does a private meeting? The reason he does is because his intentions are bad. He doesn't have good intentions. He wants to take Jesus out. Okay, that's, uh, let me just kind of, uh, I'm kind of telling you the end of the movie, right, uh, before we get there. But he wants to take Jesus out. He's threatened by Jesus, okay? And so he wants a private meeting, so he's learning all the details with the wise men without anybody else finding out, so that he can control the situation. In other words, he wants control. But the meeting itself is not what's probably the most shocking. It's what happens in the meeting. Did you notice what he does in the meeting? And this is where I want to spend a couple minutes. I want to go back. Let me read it again because this is really important. This is one of those like little details that we just read and skim over when we're reading the Christmas story. Listen to what it says. It says, Then King Herod told them, talking to the wise men, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Okay, here's the point. Even though we've already made this point that King Herod wanted nothing to do with Jesus, he, it was, he was unwelcome in his life. Did you notice what King Herod did? And this is one of those things that's going to dig a little bit close to home for some of us. King Herod, even though Jesus was totally unwelcome in his life, King Herod is working really, really, really hard to make sure his appearance, that he looks like he's genuine and actually wants to follow Jesus. Did you notice that? He didn't want anything to do with Jesus, really. But he's working really hard on the outside to make sure everybody else thinks he's following Jesus. Yeah, this is a pretty sinister part of the story. In other words, I want everybody else to look like I follow Jesus. I want everybody else to look like I'm going to go worship him, that I want everything good that's good for him. And in reality, underneath, King Herod wants nothing to do with Jesus. In fact, he wants to get Jesus out of his life. 
for good. So nothing could be further from the truth. And these wise men, they're there, and they have this, this interview with them, but the intentions were not good. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard you know, these illustrations before or, or seen, uh, I've seen a couple of scenes in movies. I've even seen a, a commercial on this. Uh, but it, it's, the, it's the kind of situation where if you guys have daughters, you're going to understand. If you have teenage boys, you're going to understand this. And it's when the teenage boy has to go up and, uh, and pick up the daughter for the dance, right? And the teenage boy is generally going to be very nervous, right? Because he's meeting the family for the first time. <laughs> and so he's walking up with trepidation, right? Just kind of nervous. And he's like, okay, how's this going to be? And of course, it doesn't help. On the other side of the door in the house is the father and the brothers, <laughs> right? And we all know how that goes. They're all going to be there when he shows up <laughs> at the door, <laughs> right? And so open the ring, the doorbell, and there they are, dad and brothers, and they're ready. And just, and even though it's like two months past hunting season, for whatever reason, now's the night to clean their guns. <laughs> right? Now's the night. Yep, we just got to get these suckers cleaned, all of them. Let's lay them all out. Right? <laughs> I mean, seriously, let's do that. In fact, let's, let's meet with this teenage boy next to our weight room, and let's make sure we have the biggest weights on the bar. In fact, let's just press out a few while we're talking to him. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Why don't you hop in there? Let's see what you got. Yeah. Right? The whole point of this is a little intimidation, isn't it? But it's not just intimidation. What really is going on underneath that? Why is the father, why are the brothers so interested in this teenage boy that's come to pick up their daughter or their sister? Because they want to know what his intentions are. Don't they? What are your intentions? That's what they want to know. So I want to ask you this question. I have a lot of questions for you today. What are your intentions with Jesus? What are your intentions with Jesus? Seriously. Is it like a genie in the bottle so you can make your life better? Is it somebody that maybe you, you act like a, you're a follower of Christ so that you can be part of a church so you can forward your business? Create some relationships? Or is your relationship with Jesus genuine where you know, I need to be a part of this because he's my savior and this is the only way I have access to God and it's the only way that I can actually move my life in the way that God wants? What are your intentions? What are your intentions with Jesus? Well, I want to show you kind of how this works out practically uh, you may have noticed I have this little chair, this little wooden chair up here. All right, this is from our playroom. This is what, where Hannah sits to do all of her artwork and all that kind of stuff. But it was just light and easy to move around, so that's why it's here. But this chair kind of represents, if you think about in the medieval period, we talked about the medieval period a, a couple of minutes ago. But if you think in the medieval period, you go visit the castles and there's usually like, you know, a, a, a throne room or this big room where you can kind of uh, go and you see this is where the throne sat. Usually the throne isn't there anymore, but the throne sat there and that's where the king or the queen sat. And, and that chair, that throne represents absolute power, Right? This is, this is where they would rule from and they make edicts from and commands and they, and they decide and they, they direct people from this chair, from their throne. They have ultimate power because of who they are and because of that chair. 
And so today I want to pose to you that this chair illustrates the control chair, the throne of your life. This represents all the power in your life. So in other words, this, whoever sits in this chair in your life dictates your decisions. The little ones, like what you're going to eat uh, you know, for breakfast in the morning. Uh, all the big ones, like who, who you're going to you know, be around and, and how you're going to view people, how you're going to treat people. Big things and little things. All things are going to be controlled by this chair. And let me just ask you, who sits in this chair in your life? Who dictates the direction of your life? Clearly King Herod. You know where King Herod was? King Herod was in his chair, right? King Herod was firmly planted in control of his life. He's like, this is me. This is what I am. I get to do what I want to do. You people move here. You do this. I am controlling my life. I make the decisions in this one. King Herod sat firmly in his throne of his life. So let me ask you, who sits in your chair? Is it you? Now I know this goes against kind of our American culture because we say all the time, you be you. you you're great just the way you are, blah, 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 all that stuff. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying there's, there's some good language in there. And I know I'm starting to dig into like schools and all that kind of stuff because they're preaching this. You be you, you be you. You're awesome the way you are. And that's true. I'm not saying that's bad. We should, you guys know I've talked against bullying, all that kind of stuff. We're trying to fight against that. But I think we need to go one level deeper than you be you. I think we need to give up control of our life instead of us trying to sit in this chair and direct ourselves and pull all the reins. I think we need to let somebody else sit in the chair. To be honest, some of us, we're not sitting in our own chair. We've let somebody else sit here. Whether by choice or because you just let them control you. Maybe through manipulation, maybe because of their influence. There are some people, some of you in here, you're so scared of certain people in your life that you'll do what they ask you to do because you don't want to lose their friendship. You don't want to lose relationship with them. And so you say, please sit here, tell me what to do. See, the control chair is important. And, and what, what God wants, what Jesus wants, is he wants us to give up this control. He, and this is really what happened. This is why King Herod was so scared of Jesus. Because he knew if he allowed Jesus in, he was going to have to get out of his chair. Right? He's going to have to get out of his control chair, and he didn't want to do that. So who sits in the chair with you? Is Jesus welcome in your life or not? Are you going to allow Jesus to sit in the chair and help guide you? Or is it one of those things where you say, nope, I'm sitting there. Jesus, there's no room, right? I'm in the chair. Well, let me give you a third option because King Herod has shown us two bad options of how we should respond to Jesus, hasn't he? Unwelcome. And hey, let's just look like I'm going to follow Jesus and let's really not do anything to surrender. Let's just make it look like we're good, right? But let me give you a third option, the best option, really the only option that there is for us to take. Let's go to the very end of this section of the Christmas story, picking it right up. So King Herod has this interview, this secret meeting with the wise men. 
So after this interview, this is what happens. Verse 9. After the, inter- the interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Did you notice what the wise men did when they were in the presence of Jesus? Did you notice what they did? They bowed down and they worshiped. Now, I've preached on this section before, and some of you may remember, but I kind of spent a long time on the posture of the wise men and what our posture needs to be. I've, done, I've talked about this before in this part. But, but all this to say very simply, I'm not going to dig into all that again, but essentially they were getting themselves, they bowed down on their faces before Jesus and worshiped him. And I'm not going to get deep into this, but when you bow down, the reason that they used to do this before kings and before queens and why the wise men did this before Jesus is because it is the ultimate form of surrender. Okay, and I'm not going to do this because, uh, again, I, d- I did this a lot uh, a couple of years ago. But if you kneel down on your knees and you put your head down and you put your hands over your head, there, if, if anybody wants to do anything to me, that is the most vulnerable I can be. I can't get up quickly. I can't see you coming There's no way I can defend myself. I am absolutely at your mercy. I am absolutely at your mercy. And that's what it means when they bow down and they worship Jesus. What they were saying with their posture and their actions is, Jesus, we're yours. You outrank us. We are no longer the status here. You are above us. Whatever you call us to do, that's what we're going to do. That's what they're saying. And I want us to understand that these are the wise men. Now, we call them wise men, and we have them, you know, walk up with fancy gifts and Christmas pageants and, or riding on camels if it's really fancy and all this kind of stuff. But we don't really quite know who these guys are. So if you look at the original language, we call them wise men. You've probably heard them called the magi, right? And, and that comes from the Greek word in the plural, which is magos. Okay? The, the Greek word that we translate into wise men is magos. But if you look at the original meaning of magos, it is actually comes from the Babylonians or the Persians. They both use this word. And, and this word really translates to mean like an astrologer or a sorcerer or somebody who, where a king or a queen would actually look to them for knowledge and, and direction and guidance and like, hey, what should we do here? They were kind of the advisors to the king and the queen. Okay? So what does that tell you about the wise men? What that tells you is several things. It tells you that they were powerful, that they had a lot of influence, that they were extremely wealthy. I won't get into this either. I have in years past, but the the treasure that they brought is unbelievably valuable. Unbelievably valuable. If If we kind of extrapolated out the cost of those three gifts that they brought them, we're talking about a massive, massive value. Huge value that they gave up, that they sacrificed. And it also tells you how wealthy they are. 
Lots of power, lots of influence, lots of wealth, lots of status. In other words, uh, knowledge, right? They're educated. They, they, had, they knew a whole bunch of stuff, all this stuff. So what does that tell you? What that tells you is the world would have looked at the wise men and said, you guys have got it. You are arrived. You have done it. You are awesome. Like you live in the biggest house. Look at that. You have camels. Maybe. We don't know. Right? But you have these great gifts. You have all this stuff. And look at the fancy clothes. Wow, you have arrived. And I want us to understand that the world also, with that success, they would also look at the wise men and say, don't give it up to Jesus. You have a lot to lose. But the wise men did. They gave up their time. They gave up their treasure. They gave up their energy. They gave up their life to be in the presence of Jesus. And it's not always easy to surrender to Jesus, is it? It's not always easy to be uncomfortable, right? We talk about inviting people to church or to, to, if you see somebody crying at work that you really should because you're a follower of Christ, maybe you're at work. Maybe the whole reason you have that job is not for the paycheck, but is to help this person. Have you ever thought about it that way? that maybe you don't have that job just for the paycheck. The paycheck is just kind of like, well, you need to eat and live and work, right? So, we, we, so there's the paycheck. But maybe the whole reason you're there is because of the people that are around you. Some of you are here. In fact, let me, I, I didn't have, this is not, well, a lot of this is not in my notes, but deal with it, right? It's okay. Some of you in here, I know, because I can look at you directly. Some of you are here at Northridge Today, this morning, sitting in this room, because somebody at your workplace invited you and some of you dragged you here. I know, because we've talked about it. Sometimes when Jesus shows up and says, Hey, I need you to do this, it's not comfortable, it's not easy, and, and it's kind of like giving up our seat. In fact, let me let me give you a practical step that you can take this week. This is as far as challenges go, this is as easy as it gets. So when I give this to you and you're like, oh man, this is as easy as it gets? Because this might be a little hard for some of us. But I'm serious, this is, this is easy. Well, I would say maybe not easy. It's simple. Let's put it that way. It's simple to do. We can understand it. But now to follow through with it. Okay, I want to ask you to do four things this week. Not next week, this week. Four things. First one is, we have our Christmas Eve services coming up on Friday. You guys know that. Let me just ask you this. Do you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus? Do you? I'm guessing you do. I'll bet you know quite a few. I do too. Have you invited them yet? Why haven't you invited them? Are you worried about what they'll say? Are you worried about what they're going to do? Are you worried that you might lose the relationship? Let me encourage you. Because Jesus will probably prompt you. He has done it for me. And I've had to do this a couple of different times already to people that I was not comfortable inviting. People that I didn't know real well. Right? The people that I know really well, I'm like, Jesus, can I invite them again? <laughs> no, I'm serious. I wrestle with this too, guys. I, I do. I do. Like, just because I'm a pastor, Right? I mean, it does help a little bit, I think, because they, they expect me to be weird, right? But, 
But I mean, a lot of times I'm inviting before they ever find out I'm the pastor. And then they're like, oh, now we know why he's weird. <laughs> right? But I mean, what, what, what keeps you? It's because it's uncomfortable, isn't it? So let me just encourage you. One of the four things, if there's somebody that God is not on the radar, they don't know Jesus yet, invite them. We have the hope of the world. We need to invite people to it. If they say no, that's cool. I don't disrespect people because they say no. I just say, okay, well, I care about you and I'd love, we'd love to have you. Let me give you three other things. So just think about who's, who doesn't know Jesus and invite maybe. Second thing is all kind of dealing with Friday night. Again, I told you, this is as simple as it gets. So all the challenges are higher and harder from here. <laughs> so this is a good place to start. When you come on Friday, okay, we have a five o'clock service. We have a 630 service. This place is going to be packed, okay? Uh, we know that just in years past too. Okay, this place is going to be packed. So I want to ask you to do three things. One, I want you to get here early. <laughs> Some of you, like you're already going to be early because that's what you do. Some of you, you're like, early is like 10 minutes late, right? <laughs> I get it. I know who you are. We're cool. We're good. I'm fine. I'm not judging. I'm just calling it out. <laughs> right? But I, I want to ask you guys to be here early. There's two really important reasons for that. One, okay, when there's going to be a lot of people who have never been here before. And a lot of them are going to have children. And we got to check them in. We got to get information and all kind of stuff. And that takes time. Guess what? We already know you guys right? So all we have to do is you come in, get your tags, poof, you're in, right? But there's going to be a lot of visitors, a lot of people who have never been here before. And so we got to check them in. You guys already need to be here, right? And then the second reason, and this is probably even a bigger reason logistically than that. You know what makes Northridge awesome? It's not the music. It's not the, the messages. It's not that we get to meet in the village center, right? It's not that we have Jingle Jam on Friday night. You know what makes our church awesome is you. I mean that. When people find out who's a part of Northridge, they're like, oh, I know them. They're, they're amazing. I love those guys. I said, I know. <laughs> they're amazing. I, I have this conversation almost weekly. I kid you not. And it brings tears to my eyes when I think about you guys. Because this church is awesome because of the fact that you're a part of it. You are this church. And, and the people that are visiting for the first time, they need to meet our church when they come in. I don't want them to miss that opportunity because you guys weren't here. You hear me? So get here early. Okay, invite, get here early. When you get here, this might be a harder one, park far away. I know it's winter. I hiked at Devil's Lake yesterday with my kids. I get it. It's cold outside. Okay, listen. You're not going to want to. Men, step up. Drop off the wives and the kids. <laughs> then you park far away and shiver on your way in. Deal with it, guys. <laughs> right? And I'm, but I'm serious. Like, park far away. What, what we need to do is, we, in fact, last year, I parked in the far furthest parking space when I first got here, because I'll be here like two hours before the first service ever starts, right? So, so I'm going to park in the furthest spot. This year, I'm not even going to park there. I, I, I want to ask you guys, don't even park in the parking lot. Park in the street. Because you know what I found was last year you guys came in for the Christmas services and a lot of you said, the parking lot's full. I had to park down the street over there by that one house. And I was like, oh man, I'm a little closer than them. Now, I'm not trying to win pastor like, I'm furthest. Ah! 
I sacrifice more than you. <laughs> ha ha, gotcha, you know. That's not what I'm saying, but what I do want, and I want from you, is to park out of the places where everybody else, when they come to visit us for the first time, can park. I want them to show up and they find front row right by the doors. Like, there's like, there's like 150 people here and we parked right next to the doors. How awesome would that be? Seriously. And then the third thing, or the fourth thing, I guess, now we're on, and this will be maybe the hardest one of the whole thing. When you come into this room, wherever you like to sit, I need you to move up. I need you to move in. Don't take the prime seats next to the aisle. I know. Oh, please don't say that. I said it. Not next to the aisle. Move up and move in. Again, when they walk in, we want them to say, wow, these are the like, these are the best seats. <laughs> this is amazing. There's like, you know, all these people in here. That would be awesome. You know why I ask you to do these things? I've mentioned this so many times before. I'm going to mention it 10,000 more times before I die. Let's show this community and this world what it looks like to serve them before they ever meet us face to face. You hear me? You know what I'm saying? Let's demonstrate what it looks like for us to serve and sacrifice for them and walk through the cold for them and choose seats that nobody wants because we have to crawl over 12 people if we have to go to the bathroom. Let's show them what it looks like to serve them before they ever get in the building. You see what it means to give up your seat for Jesus? It's not easier. It's harder. But that's what we need to do. Uh, a few weeks ago, I don't remember exactly what it was, uh, but we got that first measurable snow. Do you guys remember? We got it overnight. It was probably one to two inches, something like that. It really wasn't much at all. Uh, but I mean, the whole rest of the day, I heard the grumbling about it. <laughs> but we woke up and we got most of it overnight and we woke up that morning. Well, that morning, it was a school day normal work day for, for Laura and I and all that stuff and school day for the kids. But um, Laura and I were not out of bed yet. So it was still very dark. We were still not ready to get up yet. Let's put it that way. And, uh, and that morning, Tanner, our five-year-old, comes bounding into the bedroom, right? And he's just excited and ecstatic. And he comes in, right, at whatever six in the morning or whatever it was. And it's like, mom and dad, it snowed last night. Oh, mom and dad, come here. You need to get out of bed. Like, come here, come to the window, come look. And like, he's dragging us out of the bed, right? And, and he can't physically drag us out, but all it is is like, yeah, okay, no, we're fine, right? And this kind of thing. So he can't actually move us, but I'm just, I'm getting yanked and I want to be sleeping right now, right? But my five-year-old is like, dad, come and look. It's everywhere. Like it covers everything. So it's, in other words, it's not just a dusting dad. This is like real snow. It covered the mailbox and all this stuff. And so I'm like, okay. So we drag ourselves out of bed. We're like, yes, Tanner, that's so awesome. You know, and we act excited and all that stuff. And really in the back, we're still kind of thinking like everybody's like, oh, I got to get the shovel out. Now I got to get up and find my boots. Where are my boots? Right? Again, 
Like, oh, I, I don't think it's a snowblower day. I think it's a shovel day. Okay, I got to do Oh, yeah, and I've got to get Hannah, so I better get to it. And where's my stuff? Okay, let's go out there. And I go out there in my jammies, right? Because I'm like, this is what we do. We just do it enough so we're sort of warm, but we don't have to get all ready because we know we're going to have to come back in and then shower. And I'm just kind of annoyed by it. But uh, I kid you not, I was out there for two minutes and, and when I left to go outside to shovel, Tanner was still in his pajamas. And, and within two minutes, he's outside, full gear, boots, snow pants, hat, gloves, the whole shebang. Laura clearly helped him a little bit. And he's just, boom, all my five-year-olds out there. And he's like running out, right? And he said, Dad, get my little shovel. He has this little orange shovel that's like, you know, really light and easy. And he can use it. And he loves to help Dad shovel. Help, Dad, shovel. <laughs> right? No, it goes onto the grass. We don't want it on the sidewalk. We want it off the, okay, never mind. I'll come by and sweep. <laughs> I'll get it later. Right? But he was so excited. His joy was unshakable. And I'm just annoyed. I'm like, this is unwelcome to me. And I think that that really well describes Jesus to so many people on both sides. I think when Jesus shows up and, and he says, hey, I want to be a part of your life. I, I need you to help this person. I want you to surrender your life to me. I want you to give your life to Christ. When Jesus calls you to do that, and I feel like some people can go one of two directions. They can be kind of like, like me. Say, Jesus, no, I'm good. I'm busy. I don't have time. I don't want this. I, I know it probably would be a good idea, but uh, No. No, thank you. And I think that we've got a lot of people that when it comes down to Jesus, when, when it comes down to reading the Bible instead of watching TV, we'd rather watch TV. Jesus is unwelcome in that, that setting. And we're like, no, I th I'd rather just watch TV. Right? And, and, and it's unwelcome and, and our joy is not there. But you know what I think? I think that Jesus wants us to get to the place where we willingly give up our chair and that we have joy in doing it. I think, I think kind of like me, where I was annoyed and Tanner had joy, I think Tanner was right. I think Tanner was right. I know I wasn't right. I know I'm not right. And what I long for is to see everybody that I know come to the point where they are not sitting in their own chair, controlling their own life. Because I know that you, did you know that you're not the best person to control your life by far? You're not, even though you want to. You're not the best person. Neither is anybody else that you know. The only person that should be sitting in this chair is Jesus. Because he knows what you're made for. He knows who you are. And he knows how much value you have. He gave you that value. And the only way to embrace that is to surrender the chair and get out of it and allow Jesus to sit here. So I leave you with the question, who sits in your chair? For some of you, 
Maybe you've never surrendered your chair to Jesus. Maybe you've never taken that initial step to do that. If you haven't, I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to do it. Because it says in God's word that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through him. Notice it does not say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes except for people who are just really good. That is a lie that our culture has taught us. Being good doesn't get you to God. Jesus does. Jesus needs to be the only king that is sitting in this chair. So I encourage you, if you've never given your life to Christ, I encourage you to do it. And by the way, for those of us who maybe gave our life to Christ a while ago, but if we were to be honest, we've kind of been doing this. One cheek in it. Yeah, I said that in church, I know. And we've kind of been doing this to Jesus, right? He's kind of bumping him off. And you know what happens if we start one cheek in it with Jesus? <laughs> you know what happens? Eventually we've knocked him completely off the chair. And all of a sudden we don't realize we're the ones controlling our life. And that's why it's going the way that it's going. Let me encourage you. The only king is Jesus. The only throne that is made has to have Jesus in it, in your life. Surrender. Allow him to give you joy and peace. But allow him to sit in your chair. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for coming to this earth as a baby and sacrificing everything for us. God, I, I feel like sometimes we just play games with you. Sometimes we show up and we sit in a church or service some Sunday mornings and then we go back and we do our normal thing throughout the week. I pray, God, that you would help us that if there's any area or the whole of our life that, that we're sitting in the chair, our throne, that we, would, that we would surrender it, that we'd get out of the chair and that we'd let you sit there. And if there's that person that we're scared to invite or if there's that person at work or in our neighborhood that we know we, we should have been helping long ago, pray that you would help us step into that. If some of us are just lacking peace, lacking joy in this season because we've just been running so hard, so crazy, I pray that you would help us to get out of the chair. Probably the reason we're running ragged is because we've been sitting in the chair telling ourselves what we should do. Instead, we need to hear from you. So help us to surrender, Jesus. Help us to follow you, our king, the only king that we have that should be sitting in our chair. We surrender to you today, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.